And now, for the sermon. Let's, let's join together in a word of prayer as we transition from announcement to sermon. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving it to us. Thank you for the truth in it that is just as true thousands of years ago <clears throat> as it is now. We pray that you'll nourish it to our minds, use it to renew our minds, use it to sharpen us and shape us into people more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so Jeremiah chapter 1. This morning we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10. This might or might not be a series on Jeremiah. This might be a standalone <clears throat> sermon, but we'll find out next week. Hope, I will find out, hopefully, before that. Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, and until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them. For I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms, to pluck up and break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Here's a question for us to consider, and this, this will carry the, one of the themes of this sermon, and it is, how do you define success? If you were to define success, at least spiritually, for the Christian, how do you define it? How would you put that into words? And anything that's living out the Christian life, what, what is success? What does that mean? This might be a bit of a spoiler, but here it is. Obedience to God. Obedience to God. It's that simple. And it's, that simplicity is wonderful for us. It's freeing. And I hope, I hope you're encouraged when you think about this. The simple truth that spiritual success is obedience to God. Obedience to God. First, to know Christ, 
and then to live a life for him. And we're going to look at that through Jeremiah. I'm also going to tell a a little bit of a story off and on through the sermon of, of Lydia and my journey here that I hope will make it applicable and you'll find some connections with your life perhaps in your daily living with the Lord. When Lydia and I went to meet with Pastor George, who at the time was identified just as Pastor George, he was an apostle of course, but we went to meet with him and talk about churches and and church planting. And I've told this story before from different angles. And one of the first questions he asked me was, how would you define success in a church plant? And, And as a pastor, how would you define success? And I thought at first, like, oh, well, this isn't really that profound of an answer, but I, I think it's just obedience to God. And he said, that's a great answer. I said, oh, that's good. <laughs> and then I thought, I must have heard that from some preacher or something sometime. And I was trying to think, where did I hear that from? And I was thinking, actually, what most specifically made me think of it is Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah. And we're going to look at what that looked like for him. Spiritual success equals obedience to God. There's so much out there defining what success is, even for the Christian. And I hope it's very freeing for you to look at what God wants is just our hearts and our obedience. And any of us who, know, who knows God, who know God, who has the Holy Spirit in us, can obey God. It's, it's free, it's available for us to do at any time. Pastor George also talked about, gave us some advice, which I'm very thankful that we followed. It ultimately brought us here. But at the time, we were, Lydia and I, we had no idea. We had no idea how to start a church. I'm glad I did not start a church, actually. I don't think it would have ever taken off. But we, we thought we were called to plant the church. And, and we were speaking with a um, point person, if you will, from a denomination. And, and this person was, was like a church planting catalyst kind of person who, who would get people involved and a, a good man of God, of course. And, and that's excellent. But we were talking to, with him, and the idea, if we partnered with him, would be like partnering with their church planting network, and, and there would be communication going back and forth, and we would like present a plan, and they'd evaluate it, and there would be checkpoints and everything. And Pastor George talked with us and said, you know, if, if you choose to go in that direction, that's, that's fine. You know, I'll, I'll, I can, you can certainly still come by and ask me for advice if you want. But here are some things to consider. If you, if you do that, what will often be required is there will be certain checkpoints where they'll want a lot of numbers-based things. And that's often how those things are evaluated. And I don't say this to get, condemn um, 
church planting networks or anything like that. If they're using it for the kingdom, then, then, then may the Lord work through it as he chooses to. But there's a lot to do with numbers. There's a lot to do with numbers, he said. They'll, they'll want to know, like, by this date, how many salvations have there been? What's the population? What's the membership? What's the, um, how many baptisms have you had? Things like that. And there's a lot of numbers. And sometimes they will determine your success by how high the numbers rank and different things. Like, should we really be funding this church? You know, this, this new church plant, whatever it might be, should we really be investing money in there? It doesn't look like there's a whole lot happening in there. And sometimes that's how it works out. People define spiritual success in different ways. Let's look at Scripture to see how the Lord defines it and be encouraged by that and spurred on to live for him all the more when we realize we don't have to please man. We don't have to measure up to a religious standard. It's about <coughs> knowing the Lord and obeying what he has revealed to us. Let's consider the historical background of Jeremiah first. And, and then we're going to look at some different points. After, after the historical background, we're going to look at what, what does it mean? What does the word call mean? What is, what is, where do we see that in Scripture? And the importance of obeying God by trusting Him instead of self. Obeying God by doing what He says. Obeying God by fearing Him instead of man. Obeying God despite the cost. And beholding Christ's supreme example and then going forth to obey God. So first, a little bit about the historic background. Let's read again the first three verses of Jeremiah chapter 1. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, the king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, and until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. So Jeremiah's call was about the year 627. Jeremiah served for about 40 years. And that's going to be an important thing for us to consider when we consider what's spiritual success. Israel was in a terrible state. And some of us, I'm sure, are more or less familiar than others about, about Israel and Judah. So let's consider a, a little bit of history just to get us up to speed and on the same page. Israel's first king, Saul and then King David, and then King Solomon, and then Solomon had a son named Rehoboam. And that's when things started to go really south, kind of literally, actually. There was also a chief cabinet member under Solomon named Jeroboam. It's a little tricky. Similar names, eh? Well, Rehoboam was king. He, and God had, God had, uh, spoken through 
someone to prophesy that the nation would split. And it did indeed split, ultimately, under Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. You see, Solomon had ta overtaxed the citizens, and his son, Rehoboam, inquired uh, about leadership. And, and the el some of the elders gave him the advice uh, of backing off on the taxes and being gentler on the citizens. And he consulted some younger fellows, too who gave him dreadful advice that went something like this. Ah, oh, well, you should say something like this to them, Rehoboam. My father chastised you with whips. I'll chastise you with scorpions. Tell him that. And he did. And that was a terrible decision. And, and under Rehoboam, the nation ultimately split. Some went with Rehoboam. Others crowned Jeroboam, and now we have a split nation. While there used to be, it was, we, we know Israel was divided up into different tribes, so Judah existed, but now Israel was split. It was the northern kingdom was Israel, and the southern kingdom was Judah. Northern kingdom with the son of Solomon reigning over it, Rehoboam. The so Reverse that, please. See, it's hard for me to even say. Northern Kingdom, with the, with the former cabinet member Jeroboam. Southern Kingdom, with the son of Solomon, Rehoboam. Israel was in a worse state than Judah. That is, it went down faster than Judah. There were fewer revivals, there were more wicked kings, and eventually Assyria, the world power at the time took down, took Israel into captivity. Years later, here we are. Josiah, this mentions King Josiah, he was the last of the godly kings. He was the last of the godly kings. And, and Judah had more revivals, more godly kings, but, but still was in a bad state. And here we are toward the end. Assyria is beginning to move out as the dominant world power. Babylon beginning to move in. And that's where we see until the captivity in Jerusalem in the fifth month. And that is speaking of the captivity by Babylon. So a little bit of context to see this is where Jeremiah was. It was at a tumultuous time for Israel. And sometimes when you hear Israel in the Old Testament at this time, sometimes it it means the northern kingdom, and sometimes it just means anything, like Israel or Judah. So if I say Israel, I probably mean Judah, but either word works. Well, anyway, here is Jeremiah. During this time, and the Lord calls Jeremiah. We would identify this as the call of Jeremiah. Perhaps your Bible even has a little subtitle, as mine does, the call of Jeremiah. We use the word call quite a bit in our Christian lingo, do we not? And perhaps we've discussed this before, but when we see, when we see call, usually when in Scripture, most of the time when it's actually used in the Bible, it's talking about people being called to salvation or people being called to Christ-likeness. That's the time, like when, it's, when the word is used, that's when it's used most specifically in Scripture. But we also have this idea of God calling people 
to a specific task. So when we're considering what, what is spiritual success, what, how, how would God define that? When we're considering that, any of those things are applicable. The call, the Lord calls us to salvation. That's the first calling that any believer ever had was to salvation. And then the, as, as we are saved, the Lord calls us to Christ-likeness. That's a, that's a whole life calling to Christ-likeness that we pursue as individuals and we pursue it together as a body in Christ. And then part of that calling to Christ-likeness is living that out and that's, that's God calling us to specific, to specific acts of service. But we don't want to think of the calling as the calling to specific acts of service to be something that's hugely separate from the calling to be like Christ. I think it's better if we look at that as an outflow of the calling to be like Christ. Because if we're drawing near the Lord, if we're abiding in Christ and we live an abiding relationship with Christ and we're putting off the old self and putting on Christ, that, that the acts of service and the specific calling and the specific direction he has for each one of us, that's going to be an outflow of that, if that makes sense. I mean, I think it's true even if it doesn't make sense. But it's even better if it does. <laughs> the calling of Jeremiah. Here it is. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Obey God by trusting in Him, not in self. Obey God by trusting in Him, not in self. If we realize there is something inadequate about us, even as Christians, if we realize we don't have it all together, if we realize that what God wants us to do is, seems out of our reach, at a certain level, that's probably a good thing. If it all seems too easy, we might have inflated views of self. But here's the key. When we see it's out of our reach, do we run from it? Or do we run to God and turn to Him? Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. Jeremiah might have been perhaps 20 years old or so. It's impossible to tell exactly how old he was. But the Lord said to him, I mean to me rather, Do not say, I am only a youth. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them. For I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Obey God by trusting in Him, not self. God knows we're inadequate in many ways. He knows that we have shortcomings. He knows that we are imperfect and that we lack all the skills that other people might want us to have. But here's the thing. As one fellow said, God doesn't call you to fulfill other people's callings. God doesn't expect you to fulfill what, other, what He called other people to do. He just expects you to fulfill what He called you to do. At the judgment seat of Christ, He's not going to, and that is the judgment seat of Christ, 
very different from the great white throne of judgment. The, uh, the judgment seat of Christ for the believer, he's not going to judge us at the reward seat according to how you measured up compared to somebody else. He's going to judge us according to our faithfulness of what he individually entrusted each one of us to do. That we made the most out of what opportunities he uniquely gave us. Psalm 139 verses 13 to first half of 14 reads, You formed me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God's knit us together, knows us so intimately, has uniquely crafted each one of us. And we can see this right here in the text of Jeremiah, where the Lord says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. None of us are here by chance. None of us here on this earth by chance. None of us here in the area where we live by chance. None of us here in the year that we were born that brought us to this present time. None of us are here by chance. The Lord is sovereign and ordained our place on earth at this time. And that's exciting to think about that. And then here's another one, Ephesians 2, 10, or 8 to 10, that says, for you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. God has it all knit together. We have a responsibility to carry out. God's sovereignty and our responsibility fit together in the way that God intended it to. The question is, do we trust in him or ourselves? Let's obey God by trusting in him. So, do we lack anything? I, I can think of moving toward pastoral ministry. What actually brought, one thing that brought Lydia and me to the meeting with Pastor George initially was the fact that I didn't have a master's degree in divinity. That's usually what they look for at, at, at churches. They didn't have a master's of divinity. I didn't have X amount of years of church pastoral experience. And that's kind of a tricky thing. If you, if you ever, not that I expect that you do this in your spare time. I don't do this in my spare time, but I used to sometimes. And, and that is sometimes I'd climb on the roof of my house and I'd dress as Peter Pan. No, just kidding. I didn't do that. Actually, what I would do is I'd look online for church jobs. And um, for the um, pastoral positions, they'd often say, like, at least three years of full-time pastoral ministry. And I'm thinking, I wonder how people get to, like, the starting point when you have zero years. How do you get from zero to three? Because it seemed like everybody needed, like, at least three. And maybe there's something that the Lord is calling you to do. And you look around and, again, a calling, while that could be something that we consider profound, like going to Ethiopia as a missionary, if the Lord's calling you, that's wonderful. Or maybe it's something that we humans consider not so exciting, like going to your relative's house and, and witnessing to them through acts of humble service or something like that. That, that, that's not really like something that they're going to make a movie about, probably. And if they do, no one will see it. But <laughs> either one, whatever the Lord's calling you to do, maybe you look around and you'll think, 
So-and-so seems way more gifted than me in this area. Hey, praise the Lord if they are. But you know what? If, you, if, if there are certain things that are lacking in your ability or your background or whatever it may be, take heart. Because as we looked at at the beginning of 1 Corinthians, here's what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world and the despised things God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before God. If you lack any kind of ability, if you lack the whatever polished standard somebody else might have, that's okay. That might be an opportunity that you have to glorify the Lord all the more effectively and rejoice in that. Rejoice in that indeed. Obey God by trusting in Him, not in self. You ever think when trying to serve the Lord, trying to obey God in some way, do you ever think something like, whatever it is, apart from God, this is never going to work? You probably have the right idea. I catch myself thinking that, that way sometimes, and then I realize, wait a minute, why didn't I start thinking this way? That probably would have saved me a lot of stress and beating myself up. Because sometimes it's only until I'm at the end of my own rope and I realize my plan A through M failed. And then it's like, okay, I guess I better trust God now. Well, that would have been good to start at plan A, right? That's a good place to be. And may we get there by our own will at first instead of only after failing at all our own plans. May God help us. May God help us with that indeed. If it's God's plan, He will qualify you. Jeremiah said, I am, I'm only a youth. I don't know how to speak. And this is, this is quite, quite a calling he has. This is an intimidating thing for Jeremiah to do. Listen to what God continues to say, say in verses 9 and 10. Then the Lord put out His hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set to you this day over nations and over kingdoms, to pluck up and break down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. Now, Jeremiah did write what he wrote in Jeremiah 29:11. That's that's something that we like to share. That's something that's encouraging. Perhaps you're familiar with this one. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans of welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. See, those are encouraging words, but he also has some very harsh words as we see the Lord saying about tearing down, overthrow, break down, rather, 
This was a very intimidating thing for Jeremiah to do. But if it's God's plan, He will equip you. He will enable you. It doesn't have to make sense. As Lydia and I have gone on this journey, there have been, uh, it's in so many little ways, it, it's little things have not worked out. Some big things have not worked out. The, the, the job I had at Gordon seemed very promising and it only lasted a couple months in, in its full-time capacity. There, there are so many steps that, and there are some steps we still don't see how, how is this going to work out? How is that going to work out? And, and we're starting to learn, well, continuing to learn, it's a journey of faith one step at a time. That's really how it works out. And the Lord doesn't spell it all out for us. Ever want the Lord to spell out the future for you? I do. I can't tell you how much, I've, how much time I've wasted, how many years I've probably shaved off my life through the stress of trying to figure out how things are going to work out. We can't really figure that out. Sometimes things look like they're going to work out perfectly in one way or another. What, what was Jeremiah's life like before the Lord called him in, in this way? I don't know. But the Lord will carry you through and equip you for what he has called you to do. If it's his plan, that's all that, all we have to do is obey it. O obey, what the, obey the Lord's direction. The results are up to God. And that is a huge relief. If we can take that to heart and really believe the results are up to God, he just requires us to be faithful. He requires faithfulness. He requires obedience. That's what he requires on our behalf. The results are up to him when it's kingdom things. And I hope that's encouraging. I hope that saves you some stress. I hope it saves me some stress. Obey God by trusting in Him, not in self. Obey God by doing what He says. Hey, one might say, you can't use that as a point for a sermon. That's cheating. Obey God by doing what He says? That's not a creative. Ah, but it's true. Obey God by doing what He says. Do you think God's directions seemed rather improbable to Jeremiah. I am only a youth. I do not know how to speak, said Jeremiah. He must have been thinking, who am I? I'm, I'm so young. Perhaps he's comparing himself to some other people who are skilled speakers, powerful speakers, and he's thinking, I'm going to be the mouthpiece of God to the, before the nations? What? And he's intimidated by that. God's directions might have seemed improbable to Jeremiah, but what did he do? He obeyed. He carried through. He responded to what God wanted him to do. God's directions might seem improbable to us. As we read the Word, even, when we see God's truth in Scripture, and then we see the situation in our life, whether it be a grand thing where life is spiraling out of control, or whether it be a seemingly more minor thing, like the daily frustrations in life and, and how, do, how do I be joyful in the midst of this? Whatever it might be, sometimes it seems like obeying God is out of our reach. How do we do that? We, we draw near Him. We, we walk closely with Jesus. We have an abiding relationship. 
and we cling to him and he carries us through. Sometimes it looks, when we, when we look at our situation, sometimes it might look like if we went a different direction, it would save us a lot of trouble. But it's always better to do what God says. I'm stating the obvious, but have any of us mastered that? Probably not. It's always better to do what God says. Sometimes it looks like we have a more clever plan. I remember one time when I was at a Bible study, this was when I was in college and I was a young Christian at the time. I was, I was new to the Christian faith. And I remember this fellow whose name incidentally was also Greg. And I remember him saying something like, we were talking about spiritual challenges and he said, when you, it's, 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 we, I need to learn that God is smarter than me. God's plan is better than mine. I, I'm, I'm not as smart as God. And I remember thinking, that's kind of a weird thing to learn. I mean, of course you're not as smart as God. But now I realize, while any of us could answer that correctly on a test, do we really live that way? We see what's in Scripture. We know what he, the Holy Spirit makes a scriptural connection in our heart with the situation before us. And we think, hmm, yes, I know it says this, but... And then we go astray as soon as we get to that dreadful conjunction. Do you think Jeremiah perhaps was tempted to think that way? Perhaps he was. Behold, I, I'm only a youth. But the Lord said, Do not say I am only a youth. For to all whom I send you, you shall go. The Lord direct him. It is through the Lord. Do what the Lord says. It's not just idealistic. It's not just, it's not, not just, oh, in the perfect world, maybe we could live this out. I mean, this is, this is real life. This is daily life. This is, this is daily nuts and bolts, putting the fish on the hook living. And I have realized how much of, as a church, we can consider this as a church. Perhaps you can consider it as a Christian in, in, in service in the church, and I can as well from the perspective of a pastor. I used to look at what scripture said, and I thought about being a pastor, and I, was, I felt burdened because I looked at different churches and, and, and how many had expectations of this is what a pastor should be, or, or this is what a good church has to have, and it has to have all these things. And I thought, wouldn't it be nice if we could just look at scripture and like try to live that out? And I say, no, no, that's, that's too simple. That could never happen. And, and then, and then, not to say that we're doing everything perfectly, but, but this is a really swell place. I have to say, it's, it's I had, being, being a part of this body and, and being a pastor here is such a joy to me. I have to say, it's so great to come in here and just, and just try to live out what we see in Scripture together as a community. People ask me all the time things like, and this is not, not to discourage any of you for like asking questions as we go along, or, and it's not, these aren't bad questions, but if you just follow the point, people ask me often, oh, so are you, are you looking for a building? Oh, are you going to try to build it up to be a, a larger place? Are you going to, once you get more experience, are you going to try to move on to a bigger church? And these kind of like, like workplace sort of questions, and those things all might make sense in the secular workplace sometimes, but the kingdom's different. 
the kingdom's different. And it's so wonderful to, to come together in the body of Christ, large or small, and just worship the Lord together and live out what he's revealed to us in scripture. Obey God by doing what he says. It doesn't always seem like it's going to work out. Sometimes it might be scary. But as one preacher said, obey God, leave the consequences up to him. Obey God by doing what he says. Obey God by fearing him instead of man. Fearing him instead of man. In Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man is a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord will be set securely on high. Different translation might say, will be kept safe. Fear of man is a snare, or fear of man proves to be a snare. And how true that is. Have you noticed any time you're trying to live life for the Lord and you catch yourself fearing man, it's a snare. It holds you back. It's like you're running a race and you just get snared along the trail. And that's how it works every time. I'm discovering this more and more. Fear of man proves to be a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be set securely on high. Fear of man proves to be a snare. I don't think Jeremiah would get hired today. I don't think he'd get hired as, as a prophet or, or as a pastor. I don't, I don't think his application would be kept on file. Let's consider this. And this is where it gets into what God wants is our obedience. That's success. What man wants is tangible results. Now, in the secular workplace, there's a place for that. I mean, if you work in business and your company rests or rises or falls on profit and you go to your boss and said, um, I tried my best to make some sales. How many did you make? None. That's a serious problem. Uh, if Dave goes to build a house or build a shed or build in anything and, it, and he builds, it comes out looking like a tree house and is in a tree, which I'm sure it doesn't, but if it looks like that, and then he says, I tried my best, the person who hired him is probably not going to be like, oh, okay, here's your check. As long as that's, that's, that's all I'm concerned about. I just wanted to make sure it wasn't negligence or anything. I'm glad you tried your best. We can have, the neighbor's kids will love it. Here's thousands of dollars. We've always wanted that. Nay, but I don't think Jeremiah would get hired today. In, in, in the book of Jeremiah, we only see evidence, and we won't look at these specifically for the sake of time, but, but we only see evidence, really, that two people responded favorably to Jeremiah's preaching. And one was probably the scribe who wrote at least part of this book. Two. In 40 years of ministry, two people apparently responded favorably. And nowhere do we see that Jeremiah was uh, like, a, like a, the Bible never looks on him as a terrible person or something like, or in order to be good in ministry, don't be like Jeremiah. We don't see any evidence of that. 
40 years of ministry, and God called him to this. Think about this. God, God called him, and, and God says, Wherever, whoever I send you, you shall go, and wh whatever I command you, you shall speak. That doesn't necessarily mean Jeremiah did everything perfectly. He was an imperfect, sinful man like you or me. But for, we, can, we can trust that God did work through Jeremiah. And as it said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. God already knew who Jeremiah was, who would be interacting with, who would be sending him to. God knew that only two people were going to respond favorably to him in 40 years of preaching. So, couldn't God have sent somebody else? He could have, but he didn't. Two people in 40 years of, of preaching. And this is where it gets into the reality of those people had a choice. God left them with a choice to repent and turn to him or go their own way. And they chose, many of them, most of them, the vast majority, chose their own way. The results belong to the Lord. Obedience belongs to us. So, would Jeremiah be hired today? Imagine on a, a pastoral search committee. They get Jeremiah's resume. And somehow he gets into the interview, which probably, well, 40 years of ministry, that's experience. Maybe that's how he'd get in. So, how many of converts have you had in your 40 years of ministry? I reckon two. Oh, next. I don't think that would have gone over well. Obey God by fearing him instead of man. We can be paralyzed by fearing man. We can fall into that snare that Proverbs warns us about. And we can think, well, yes, God, I could do this. I could, I see what you mean by this, but, but what if I fail? One time, I might have mentioned this before, but I think it's uh, an example that bears repeating. There was uh, another pastor that, back when I was first thinking about ministry, I, I told him, I think maybe God's calling me to be a pastor. I'm not sure. What do I do? Or something like that. And he said, well, what's, what's the one thing that you would do for the kingdom of God if you could do anything and, and you knew that you wouldn't fail, what would you do? And I thought, oh, I reckon I'd be a pastor. But I think that was very smart of him to put in that and knew that you wouldn't fail. Because if you didn't put that in, then I would have got stuck at the, well, I'd probably do this, but I don't have a master's degree yet. I don't know if I'm going to get one. They're so expensive. I don't really have this experience. I, I, don't, I don't know. And then we go off on our tangents about inadequacy. Fear God instead of man. Don't, don't worry about what man looks for. Look for what God looks for. God sees the heart of our obedience. Man sees the results. But that doesn't matter in the kingdom. Results matter so long as God, as they're glorifying God, of course. But God's not looking for numbers. Whatever that looks like. Whether that's people, numbers in, in the church. It's good if there are many people because there are many people who need to know the Lord. Or maybe it's, maybe it's numbers somehow in your own personal life as a Christian 
whatever it is. I don't know how the numbers problem might factor into your own personal life, but I bet there's some way that it does. Maybe not in so much as something you can put tally marks on, but that, that kind of religious spirit of you have to measure up to this. And you have to at least equal what somebody else is doing. The fact is, none of us equal all we're supposed to be. But that's okay. Because as we celebrated this morning with the bread and the cup, Jesus took care of that. He paid for that. He, he appeased the wrath of God. Obey God by fearing him instead of man. Obey God despite the cost. Obey God despite the cost. Jeremiah was rejected by the people. Uh, in Jeremiah 26, verses 10 to 11, the text reads, When the officials of Judah heard these things, they came up from the king's house to the house of the Lord and sat in the entrance of the new gate and of the Lord's house. Then the priests and prophets spoke to the officials and to all the people, saying, A death sentence for this man, for he has prophesied against this city as you have heard in your hearing. Referring to Jeremiah. Jeremiah was eventually carried off forcefully to Egypt, and that is where he eventually died. Jeremiah lived a perhaps somewhat lonely life. He was, call, he was called to a life of singleness, and he was rejected by many people. Obey God despite the cost. There's a bogus theology out there. And it's a theology that says something like, if we put God first place in our lives, then everything will just fall into place. If we put God first place in our lives, he'll smooth out the road and it won't be bumpy at all. It's simply not true. That's simply not true. We don't see that in the Bible. Now, here's the thing. There are some promises in Scripture. And, and, there, and there are promises like, let's say Jesus' Jesus's words when he said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given unto you as well. And, some, and that's true. Those promises are true. But sometimes people treat them kind of like a cookie-cutter promise. Like you just, you just apply it to anything. Like if we put God first place in our lives... It's just, it's just going to be smooth sailing and will not have any more problems. That's simply, if we look in Scripture, quite frankly, it's the opposite for most people. You know, sometimes people will look at Solomon and they'll say, well, look, Solomon sought wisdom and God gave him wisdom and then also gave him riches. Sometimes it works that way. Key word, sometimes. Sometimes it works that way. There are people who God blessed with great material wealth there are others who God blessed with great physical health and great earthly success on the job. And then there are others who don't have that kind of life in this earth. And that's just how it is. In, in Proverbs, we see sometimes why it can be our fault if we, if we suffer. But then in Job, we see how sometimes we can do all the right things and suffer more than everybody else. 
And in Ecclesiastes, it makes some sense of it by saying, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> we can't understand it. Don't try too hard to understand it. You're not going to. Probably not going to. And if God gave you the answer of why it's happening, that might not really make things that much better. And it might be something like, to make you holy. That probably is the answer, actually. And then there might be other answers that trickle out of that, but that's probably the main thing. Obey God despite the cost. Jeremiah was rejected. We might be rejected in some ways. Think about this. Jeremiah obeyed God. He carried out God's calling. He ministered for 40 years. He saw, perhaps, that we know of, two people who responded favorably, and he witnessed the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. Can you imagine how devastating that must have been for Jeremiah to be pouring out his heart for 40 years in obedience to the Lord, and what does he see at the end of it? The destruction of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple. We can read the book of Lamentations, and we can see the sorrow that's why people call Jeremiah, perhaps that's one of the reasons why people call Jeremiah the weeping prophet. He wrote Lamentations too. And he's, he's mourning over the destruction of Jerusalem and the horrors of the destruction. And he poured out his blood, sweat, and tears for 40 years ministering. And that's what he saw. We might not see the type of earthly success we hope to. But that's okay, because that, that should not be the most important success that we look for. The most important success is obedience. Take a look, if you please. Uh, we'll be, for a couple scriptures, we will be in the book of Hebrews. I'm going to look at Hebrews chapter 11 and chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 11, says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are invisible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, the, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and that he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And this goes through all these people who by faith lived out what God had called them to do. And the evidence of the faith is obedience. As James put it, faith without works is dead. But let me show you faith by good works. And that takes part, that takes form in obedience. And now, as we consider these people, as we speed toward the end of the chapter, 
Let's go, picking up in verse 32. What more shall I say? For time would fail to tell me of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured refusing to accept release so that they might rise to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Can you imagine, can you imagine if there was a book that came out in the Christian book section that said something like this? And the, and the thesis of the book was something like, Put God first place in your life, obey God, live out the calling, reach your full potential, and here's what your life might look like. Mocking, you might be mocked, flogged, put in chains, even imprisoned, stoned, sawn in two. You might get sawn in two. They killed with the sword, you might be run through. You might have to go about in skins of sheep and goats. You might be destitute, afflicted, mistreated. I don't think that would make the New York Times best-selling list. <laughs> Moreover, how about this? Now, if any of you would like to help raise support for the new personal jet from our ministry, send your love gift of 1995 to Gregory Kelly Ministries, and you can become, you guessed it, destitute, mistreated, <laughs> flogged. You might be run through with the sword. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You might be in a sheepskin. Oh, hallelujah. You might be in a, in a, in a goatskin. Hallelujah. And you will prosper by being stoned to death. Hallelujah. I do not guarantee these things, but they might be yours for your love gift of 1995. We accept Visa, MasterCard, and then I will fly to other nations at my leisure so I can tell them this too. You might be a YouTube sensation if you say that. Or you might end up institutionalized. But I don't think that would... That, the listeners might sense there's something, may I say, different about the message. This, obey God despite the cost. If we realize that our deepest reward is knowing Christ more deeply and that our greatest treasures lie in heaven for us, if we realize that, if we set our minds, as Scripture tells us, not on earthly things, but on the things above, that will help us go over the, the choppy seas and the bumpy roads better.
if we can accept the, the reality of suffering in life and have a good theology of suffering, and we can embrace that, and, and we can let go of the idea of to be a Christian means to have an easy life, which is so popular today. If we can let go of that and we can just shatter that image, sweep up the glass and throw it out, then we can be thankful and happy when things do go smoothly. And we probably don't need much practice in that. Maybe, maybe the thankful part. I know I do. But when the trials come, we say, we don't say, wait a minute, this isn't Christian. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Oh, there is a cost to discipleship. There is a cost to discipleship indeed. Some people say, follow God and you'll get this big mansion. But Jesus said, foxes have burrows and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And while he was speaking literally, because he was traveling on foot and he was going from place to place, and he was speaking to someone who was actually saying, I will follow you, I think there's a principle for us to carry that, carry into our lives and realize there is a cost to discipleship. And don't resist it. It's all worth it. Because we're following Jesus. He's worthy to follow. Obey God despite the cost. Jeremiah obeyed God despite the cost. And it cost him a lot in his earthly life. He probably could have lived a much happier life. Keyword happy. Uh, a much more joyful life. That might be another, that might be a message for another day. But he probably could have lived an easier life, maybe materially more prosperous, uh, less pain in his life, had he chosen to live his own quiet life and just kind of worship God quietly. Although he probably, he might have been carried into Babylon and, and, and um, who, who knows. But the point is, he probably at least wouldn't have been rejected by his own people. But it's worth it that he was. Finally, behold Christ's supreme example and obey God. Behold Christ's supreme example and obey God. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who, ha who was tempted in every way that we are, yet was without sin. Jesus, the only perfect man, this all leads us, this all climaxes in our Savior. Jesus was, while there were many prophets, Jesus was the perfect prophet, priest, and king. And Jesus obeyed everything. He carried out everything God the Father told him to do. He fulfilled everything in the Father's plans. In perfect obedience to the Father, he came and took on flesh and ultimately went to the cross for the forgiveness of sins for you and me. And... When Jesus lived out this life, notice he didn't meet all the expectations of man. He was the only one who obeyed the Father perfectly, but he did not meet all the expectations of man. There were some times when it was more on the lighter side, when Jesus, being in one place in his human flesh, had to retreat to a solitary place to spend time with the Father. And his disciples said, where were you? Everybody's looking for you. He couldn't be everywhere at once. He couldn't please everybody in the way that they wanted him to. And when Jesus resurrected from the dead, when, when Jesus 
paid the satisfactory payment and God the Father was pleased with the sacrifice and appeased his wrath and Jesus rose from the dead. As we looked at a few weeks ago in 1 Corinthians, Jesus appeared once he was resurrected, before he went to heaven to be at the right hand of the Father. When he was resurrected, he appeared to more than 500 people. But in the book of Acts, how many are gathered together in the upper room? We have about 120 people. What about the other, what about the other 460? I guess you could argue, well, maybe some of them couldn't fit in the room. Maybe some of them didn't get the memo. But I don't think that explains it all. I think that was pretty much the believers at the time. Over 500 people, not everybody who saw the resurrected Jesus himself probably turned to him. Not even that. And there were times when Jesus, at the beginning of his ministry, at the beginning of his ministry and at the beginning of his earthly life, Jesus was obscure. And then Jesus was very popular. But then, eventually, many who started to follow him, whatever that looked like, didn't continue following him to the very end. And not all who Jesus performed miracles in front of, not all who Jesus taught in front of, not all who Jesus lived before ended up following him. And if they did not follow Jesus himself, perhaps even after he predicted his own death and pulled it off and his resurrection, then who are we to believe that it will be easy for us? And who are we to believe that we need to meet the standards of man? Because the standards of man are not only high, but sometimes they're just out of sync with the kingdom of God. They're, they're irrelevant. Mm -hmm. Obedience is obeying. Yes, obedience is obeying God. That's not what I was going to say, though. Obedience is success. Success is obedience. Let's join together in a word of prayer as we close. Uh, Lord, we thank you that you obeyed Jesus. You obeyed the Father perfectly. You carried out the perfect life as the perfect lamb without blemish that we could not do. You went to the, a terrible execution and then rose again conquering death so that we may have life. Thank you for that, God. We thank you for that. And we pray that you would use your word. And Holy Spirit, please, please use the word and, and soak it into our minds and renew our minds. We probably all have earthly expectations that we're trying to live up to in some ways that quite frankly distract us from what you actually are calling us to do. We ask for each one of us that you would, that you would free us from that and that you would break apart those, those chains that, of legalism, of religious spirit, the things of man that are not your things and help us, give us courage and boldness and faith to step out in obedience to you of what you've revealed to us in your word and how you bring it to mind by your spirit in our lives. If anybody would like prayer for, if there's anything, um, any um, expectations of man, um, religious spirit, anything like that that's been clinging to you and, and, and being a snare that's been holding you back, you like, like prayer that, that you, God would help you to banish that, put it aside and, and just 
obey him and be renewed by obeying him. Just raise your hand. Be happy to keep you in prayer this week. Lord, we lift these up to you. And we pray that you would make that clear to them. And we pray that you would give them great freedom and liberty. Because you've called us. You, you, your load is not heavy. Your burden is not heavy. And we ask that you help us to obey you, Lord, despite the cost. In Jesus' name we pray. We thank you for our time of fellowship. Ask your blessing on it. And we commit our tithes and offerings to you, Lord, that they be pleasing to you and your kingdom. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.